find the baller. My life is more than money and money. My story's so crazy, dog. I said make a movie behind the baller. I went from playing sports to exotic whips. Ain't gotta tell me, dog. I know I'm the shit behind the baller. My life is more than money and journey. My story's so crazy, dog. I said make a movie behind the baller. I went from music exec to this podcast. Now I finally feel at home and left behind the baller. Yo, yo, what up, y'all? You are listening to the world famous and the most unorthodox business podcast out there. This is the almighty behind the baller podcast. This is a Dust Brothers production, always recorded in 8K high doge finition sound. You already know the Dust Brothers, the eight time podcast producers of the year, Miles Davis, Jordan Winter. AKA the Dust Brothers, they produce this show. That means what? Yes, museum quality podcasting always. I am your host, Ben Baller, not Ben Humble, AKA the Korean John Cusack, AKA Player 456 from the ever so popular Squid Game. BTB Army, my voice is almost back. My Seahawks are almost almost back well <laughs> yeah i'm gonna get a little ahead of myself we'll talk about that in a little bit yo nba season is in full effect sat courtside this week it felt incredible and the captains aka all of us me michael rapport jordan winter miles davis captain picks us guys we are making people a lot of money, unlike that leprechaun who doesn't just play a midget on Halloween, but he plays a midget all year round, okay? He's not making motherfucking people money. The captain's picks are. Um, guys, we got a very special guest on the show today. We have Matthew Kalish. He is the co-founder and the president of DraftKings, and, uh, you know, he's a super humble dude, very surprised. We talk about how he built an $18 billion empire. $18 billion, okay? This dude is heavy in the NFT space and all this other shit, but we're going to get into that in a little bit, okay? I want to talk about one thing before we get into the interview. It is a rough weekend for me to let loose with the verbs since it was Halloween last night, and uh, my kids, that's my kids' second favorite holiday, so you know, I don't really have, I, one, I didn't get a lot of sleep, two, we don't have a lot of time. So Halloween is big. I, I want to say this, man. Definitely this year was much bigger than last year. Obviously, last year was kind of like pretty much canceled, right? But it was like, you know, towards the end and people were just kind of like, do we wear a mask? You know, you don't know what the fuck. Halloween was in full effect in my neighborhood. Now, my neighborhood is about three blocks, you know, three blocks wide. I'd say about three blocks uh, deep. And it's a real, you know, it's it's a nice little community. I don't uh, ever talk about... um the people who live in the neighborhood, because if I do, then, uh, you know, you kind of can figure things out. A lot of people have a lot of guesses. They don't know what the fuck. They, they just don't know. Because, you know, I visit a lot of families. People are like, oh, you live here. Oh, you live here. No, you know, see my car there. You know, my mother lives there. My mother-in-law lives there. You know, my, my here lives here. It's just, it's just people don't get it. They don't know, but it doesn't matter. Bottom line is our neighborhood is amazing when it comes to kids, when it comes to any kind of family activity. And that's why a lot of these people NBA players, uh, NFL players, you know, um, uh, celebrities who have kids, why they want to live in the neighborhood because it's a family-driven area. 
But yeah, you know, we got to walk around. We got to dress up. I hate dressing up. And, you know, I don't try to be a Grinch or nothing like that or be, you know, the Debbie Downer and shit in the family. But my wife loves doing all that, taking the pictures and memories and stuff. And I appreciate it. But at the same time, sometimes I'm just like, ugh, you know? And yesterday was just a long day for me. The weekend was long. I mean, I'm blessed. Things are great. But I'm just, I don't know, man. I got a lot on my mind. I got a lot going on. But what I want to talk about right now is Halloween, you know, is over. All right, we had a great little family thing. Shit is getting out of control in Los Angeles. Um, it's getting out of control in San Francisco. It's getting out of control in Seattle. It's getting out of control in Chicago. It's getting kind of bad in New York. I can't speak too much on New York. Can't speak on the Florida. I can't speak on Texas. I can only speak about the areas that I kind of frequent, right? But I know LA is just getting fucking bad. Okay, you know, a decent person who earns money, can't just go to Fairfax anymore, can't go to Melrose anymore. They can't go to Weehill. They can't go to parts of Beverly Hills anymore and just go buy things and just live a normal life because there's so much hate and there's so much fuckery in the world that you got stupid, dumb, idiot, piece of shit, cocksucker scumbags who are robbing people. And um, I'm gonna be honest, look, man, I get it. People are desperate. In all my lifetime of seeing jackings and shit in the hood, seeing it from all over the place here and there, I have never seen it this bad. And they think it's like, this is the only way, you know, whatever. Look, man, I don't know how to tell you this, but if you steal something from somebody, you know, no big deal. Use a gun, depending on how you point on somebody, that's attempted murder, okay? Strong on robbery, you know, armed robbery, um, as soon as you bring that that F in there, you start bringing that felony charge in there, yo, then people are going to do something about it. And you're going to get hurt. You're going to get put in jail. You know, you'll go away for a while. And you got nothing else going on. You're just that fucking stupid. You can't read. You didn't want to go to school. Or you want to do a smoke weed, whatever. And you just live that short microwave lifespan. Now, I'll be honest. I'd be willing to bet that 91% of my listenership that listens to BTB has anything to do with that type of fuckery. I believe that some people may have been in some shit where they jack people here and there, but you know what? Most of these guys that are doing this are real young. When I say real young, I'm talking about like late teens, very early 20s. And it's happening a lot more than ever. And a friend of mine I don't really speak to anymore, I want to say an ex-friend, he got robbed this week. And uh, it, it's sad. Because even though I don't rock with dude no more, I don't like to see that shit. Because they feel like they can get to him, they feel like they can get to me, you know, in a certain way. And I've been fortunate. I haven't had that situation happen to me, right? Um, I carry a gun. And there have been times where, you know, I've, I'll be honest with you, from like 2017 or like 2020, I didn't really carry a gun. Not every day. You know, I don't just carry a gun every day. I have, I have multiple clips. There's one in the chamber always. Got guns in the car. Got guns everywhere I go. Be like, oh, why you saying? Because I'm legally able to carry one. But I'm talking about like every so often I think about it. Like, yo, is today the day I'm going to shoot somebody? Like, is it today the day I'm going to use this thing? Because I'm not tripping. You know, I think I worked hard enough to where like, all right, I got a great legal team. Got a great criminal attorney. Got a great everything taking care of stuff. I got a great, you know, if it has to go there, it has to go there. You know, and I'm not like everybody. 
Some people have a lot more to lose. Some people have their opinions. I had a guy, you know, who's, who's in here. He's like, yo, man, just so you know, if you shoot somebody in your house, no, no, dog, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Because I didn't been shot three people to come to my house before. And two didn't never went to court. One of them to go to court and kind of a little bit of a bitch. But I won the case. You know, there's ways to do it. There's ways to, how you're represented in court is, is a big deal. Now, going on, one of these punk-ass kids, one of these punk-ass losers, one of these idiots are going to rob someone, the, the wrong person. They're just going to hit the wrong dude. And they're going to be walking out the restaurant, walking out the store, walking out the street, and get killed. And over what? Overwatch? Some people are like, oh yeah, it's 50000 100000 Like, how? Like, you really don't get it. Let's say you had never had no money. You never had more than $1,000 your entire life. Never had more than 800 bucks in your life. And now you got some cash, and you're like, oh, this is addicting. Boom, yeah. Again, think about what you're doing, the energy you're putting out there, what you're doing in life, and whatever it may be. Uh, it, I don't, that's not necessarily karma. It's going to come back to you. There's going to be things that I hear, like you fucked with somebody, you know, depending on the right person. You know, a person will be like, fuck this, I'm putting that shit back there. There's Charlie Bronson's all over the street, all over the world. You just never know. Now you got to think about that. Then you could be three years later, never did shit. Let's say your life is good. You're cool. You're chilling, whatever. Boom. You're on the street. Pow, next thing you know, you get shot. The fuck did I do? You never know. People don't forget things. Some people, you know, they hold the grudge longer than others. All I'm saying is, that ain't the way. And what pisses me the fuck off the most is, I've seen some people really just, really, they, they live poor. They hate it. They see the stuff. But now with all the stuff that's going on with the advertising, you know, when I say advertising, I'm talking about just independent people showing off their expensive shoes, showing off this, this, and this. And some people can say what they want to about me. Look, I've lived this life for a long time. And I don't even show 20% of the things I own. I can go way harder. That's, this is, that's a given. There was a point in time where I thought like, damn, you know what? That's like weird. I don't really post shit here and there. And some people just don't know. Some dude the other day was saying some shit to me in a comment. It was like, and it was like, you actually think you can afford a Bugatti? And I thought to myself like, yo, bro, how fucking stupid are you? Anyways, drifting away from the, from the topic at hand, ex-friend of mine got robbed. Took him out of the car. You know, roughed him up a bit. Pointed a gun at him. Took all his shit, took his wallet, took everything else. At that point, man, you know, depending you get the right person, or I'm sorry, you, you technically you get the wrong person, and now your life is fucked up over what? Because you wanted to floss. You didn't want to eat. Most of these people, they're not using it because they, they're hungry. They have no food in their stomach. They're doing it over just, you know, because they want a certain life. And that ain't the way to do it. Robbing somebody else because your life sucks because what else? That ain't the way to do it. Because I promise you, there's never been a good ending to it. There hasn't ever. Bank robber or whatever the fuck you did. You're talking about career criminals. It's never, there's never been a good ending. That's people like, oh, I don't give a shit about jail. That's just my business. All right, cool. That's great. But you gonna fuck around, hit somebody you don't realize, and you're gonna end up on a t-shirt. You're gonna end up on a flyer. There's going to be a rest in peace song about you or such and such. Just stupid shit. And a few days ago, a place I've ate at over a hundred times in my life, Hot Wings Cafe on Melrose, got hit up. These two dudes walked in. Dude had a banana clip in his Glock. Like a 50 clip, like extended out. Like, bro, what are you doing? Like, what the fuck? They pull it out real smooth. They were in there for maybe two minutes or less. It was so smooth. 
They took the dude's watch. They took his his girl's watch. We're able to walk out. Nobody knew what the fuck was going on. And I'm just like, look, as soon as you turned around and walked out that door, man, bro, motherfuckers just getting shot. Be like, well, why? It's not worth it. No, like at a certain point though, enough is enough. You know, you can't show somebody what's, you don't know what the fuck's going on with someone in their life. They might have lost a family member. They might have just lost their job. They might just be done with it. You know, they, that watch could have been something. People are like, oh, it's not. Shut, stop telling people what the fuck, what is worth what. To them, I'm saying. There could be something like a, a gesture that that their father who passed away passed down something, but it meant something to them. So they're going to fight for it because, you know, it's it's just, just, you know, important, significant, sentimental value, uh, memorabilia type things. You know, Think about Christopher Walken when he's explaining to Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction about the watch and what his dad went through and his dad's dad went through through the wars and shit to get that watch and he had to go get that watch back and he had to deal with Ving Rhames and all that bullshit over all that little shit and people were like, yo, you don't know what that meant. Good thing is my ex-friend is okay. Seen him at the Laker game. Didn't say shit to him. Didn't even know about it until after. But I felt bad. You know? So I was a kind dude out of my character, it seems like. Really not really. I just kind of reached out. I was like, yo, man, if you all right, man, let me know if you cool. Still not really fucking with you like that. I want to make sure you're all right. You know, whatever. Some people take it how they want. But, you know, just a gesture. Uh, Tracks NYC got robbed, you know, right outside Buddha Bar in New York City. Um, they got them for Richard Mill. It, it's just getting really bad right now, man. People are really fucking, again, it's just like, like, these people, they're not going to fucking go eat. Like, when I say eat, if you rob somebody and go to Mr. Chow's or go to somewhere, that, that you wasn't hungry. You was, you was just trying to do something that it wasn't meant for you. People, oh, why couldn't it be? Because that's just the way life is. Life ain't fair. Not everyone gets to fucking eat fucking caviar and fucking champagne. You know, it, it just, it, life ain't fair. But if you work hard, work smart, network, lay in the cut, play your position, you know, you, you can have those things. But you do type of shit like that, it's just, you know, robbing people, doing dirty shit. Nah, it ain't gonna go your way. It never will. You'll never prosper that way, I promise you. And if you were trying to feed your family, trying to feed a kid, do certain things, get it. That's not the case 99.9% .9 of the time. These guys are fucking just hater-ass people they want to be able to go get some shit, go to a club, pop out. Who fucking knows? Just shitty ass bullshit, okay? I do not condone robbing, jacking, breaking and entering, all that shit. That should end up getting somebody fucking killed. So just wanted to say that before we start this show. This dude is a prime example, right? Now, he didn't grow up in no tough neighborhood or nothing. But like, doc, nobody cares anymore about where you're from, what hood, where it's tough. It's different. You know, when I grew up, it meant something to a certain extent. Now it's like, it doesn't because, you know, you got people who are like from like, you know, somewhat of a middle class area that is just, everything's just weird. I don't know what the fuck's going on through these kids' minds, you know? And again, no big homie guidance, no parental supervision, no nothing. You have to have that in life. But yeah, this dude is a prime example of, you know, just using his brains being smart, having a good, you know, support system, having good friends and family around them. Yeah, so let's pay some bills real quick, and we're going to jump into this uh, DraftKings CEO interview. Be right back.
this holiday season, I want to give a gift to my loved ones that makes them feel special and unique, just like the relationship that we share. That's why I'm giving everyone I care about StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It is a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you and those who matter the most. Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or a friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you've never thought to ask, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or, if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? After one year, StoryWorth will compile all your loved one's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. Reading the weekly stories helps connect you with your loved ones no matter how near or how far apart you guys are. With StoryWorth, I am giving those I love most a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Now, go to storyworth.com slash baller and save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash baller to save $10 on your first purchase. S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H. I actually have gifted this. If you've ever wanted to make your home feel safer, there is no better time than now. This week, our friends at Simply Safe are giving behind the bottle listeners 40% off their award-winning home security. We love Simply Safe because it has everything you need to make your home safe. Indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send help the instant you need it. Simply Safe was even named Best Home Security System of 2021 by US News and World Report. You can easily customize a system from your home online in minutes and even get free custom recommendations from Simply Safe. These are Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year. You can get a complete home security system starting at just over $100. There are no long-term contracts or commitments. It's really an easy way to start feeling a bit more peace of mind. Take advantage of Simply Safe holiday sale and get 40% off your new home security system by simply visiting simplysafe.com slash baller. Again, that's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash baller for your 40% off your entire system. Hurry, this offer ends very soon. Yo, 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 behind the baller. BTB Army, we got my man Matt. If I fuck this up, don't get mad at me because people fuck up Asian last names all the time. You know, my last name is easy, but is it Kalish? It's Matt Kalish. Matt Kalish. Yeah, I knew I'd fuck it up. We got Matt Kalish, president, co-founder of DraftKings. Yo, Matt, thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Yo, so uh, jump right in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, tell my listeners, where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like? Yeah, I was born in Lowell, Mass. I've been around, you know, the Boston area my whole life. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, you know, in in Mass in southern New Hampshire, and my family was 
you know, we didn't have a lot going on. My dad worked in a prison. My mom was a, a hairstylist. Uh, they were both in the military prior to doing that. And, you know, we got into just all this really basic stuff. Like we were doing, um, you know, t-ball leagues. I was playing a bunch of sports growing up. And one thing I got into that really formed a lot of my future was distance running. So I ended up getting into college on a distance running uh, scholarship of sorts and punched above my weight a little bit getting into college. So I went to Columbia University in Manhattan, which was like a crazy culture change for me growing up sort of more in the suburbs my whole life. Uh, And then finding myself in Manhattan when I was 18 on my own. So that's kind of how I got the ball rolling career-wise as well. Holy shit. Let me like rewind a little bit. It's like five things that just fucked up all my questions. I was like, no, let me, first of all, that's dope. Uh, Columbia, uh, my niece goes there. My my twin nieces, one goes to Vassar, one goes to Columbia. And uh, I've always, like when I was a kid, because you know, you get told, I mean, might've been in your era, but like, you know, you're like, you go to Ivy League, you know, you're instantly the fucking man or the woman, you know what I mean? So like, um, congrats, that's dope. Going about well, being a Massachusetts, were you a New England fan? Were you, were you a Celtics fan? Were you Red Sox fan? Yeah, we were home team fans. So like Celtics, I missed the you know Larry Bird in the era when they were really killing it. I was a little too young for that, um, and so I caught the the part that was like sad right before two thousand one when things got really good in Boston. So I have a little bit of a flavor for what it's like to not have the best sports teams in in the country, but. Um, you know, the last 20 years have been so exceptional. You know, I'm glad I had that little experience when I was young, when we were losing a lot. I have a weird, um, I don't know what the word is. It just, I have a weird relationship with Boston. Um, my brother went to boarding school there on a scholarship since third grade. He's a lot older than me. My brother is 56. And, um, my brother lived in Boston for most of his life. And then from there, he, um, he went to Andover. My sister went to Exeter. And then my cousins went to BU, both of them. And then in like 92, by random chance during college, I go to school in the Bay Area. I'm from born and raised in LA. I meet Marky Mark and we become cool. And then I meet this, this rapper guru from Gangstar and he's from Roxbury Projects. I was working at the club called the Roxbury and just random things about Boston always popped up and I couldn't get rid of it. And I hate Tom Brady until he won this last Super Bowl. And I was like, yo, do I got to give it to him? Like, like that tuck rule shit really, really got on my nerves. But what intrigued me, and I'm sorry, because it's a business podcast and we'll, we'll move forward. You said your dad worked in a jail or a prison. Was he a CO? Yeah, he worked at uh, Bill Ricca House of Correction. He was a CO. Um, prior to that, he was in the Navy. So I'm, I'm a, there's two things I'm obsessed with. Any kind of gangster movie, anything like gambling, Anything I got to do with jails, bro. Any crazy stories your dad tell you about, about being, working in the jail? One that sticks out you could talk about or no? Yeah, I remember like there was one kind of crazy one. There was like a riot during the NCAA championship basketball game one year and he got called in at like 2 a.m. Just became a big mess. So he always, you know, he tried to keep some of some of that from us. But, you know, there was always a little bit of, of stuff going on, you know, you could tell. And, you know, he'd always have his friends coming around that he worked with and they'd just be trading stories. It's, you know, a lot of action, I think. <laughs> All right. So you said when you were growing up, you like did distance running, correct? Yeah, that's right. Did you ever run the Boston Marathon? I never did. I, you know, like when I was in 
maybe ninth grade, I was playing football. I was wrestling. I was never that good. You know, I was on the teams, but I was never really standing out. And what I found was I did a mile in spring track my freshman year of high school and ran like 452 with no real training or anything. And my coach is like, you're doing this now. So it starts training me for you know longer distances. And then I did cross country, which was a big, you know, instead of football playing cross country, right. I didn't really like want to do that, but I was running good times and I wanted to win. So I was, you know, training all summer, went out, I got ninth in the state when I was a sophomore in high school and then kind of snowballed it from there. And, you know, to your point on colleges and stuff, I didn't even know what the good colleges were because my parents went to the military after school, you know, after high school, they joined the military. I didn't have a lot of people, you know, that had gone to really good colleges around me, you know, where I was growing up. So I didn't even know like what the Ivy League schools were and, and the good schools around. And the way I figured out a lot of that was the coaches were calling on recruiting calls for running. And so I got a call from Brown University, uh, one from the Naval Academy, and I went on visits to both. And then I went to Columbia and the difference was I knew one person at Columbia and I knew zero at the other schools. So I ended up kind of leaning there. I mean, academically, though, were you like, did you excel in high school or? Not really. I never had like tremendous grades. I was probably top like 20 percent in my class, but not. So you're still so over 3.5 still GPA. No, I had a 2.7 in college, but I double majored in computer science, economics, and I was playing like crazy amounts of poker at the time, early 2000s when online poker was really booming. I mean, I even fucking, yeah, I even played fucking online poker. Poker Stars was like my shit. That was like, especially after I saw Rounders, I was like, yeah, I was addicted. Um, so I'm curious, were you always into fantasy football and like, you know, the analytics of professional sports or how'd you like what, what, what started the whole thing? Always in fantasy leagues, poker and fantasy were really the two things that kind of formed my my sense of of gaming and like why I got into DraftKings was really those things. Um, going back to when I was growing up, my dad showed me a lot about about gambling. Like I would go to the horse track with him, and he would show me like how the bets work, or he'd, he'd teach me the casino games and the odds. Not that he was a mathematician, but he knew kind of like. How to, how to be smart about it. Like, what are the bets that you shouldn't really be making? And he always had a good perspective on like, hey, you don't want to just sit at the table gambling all day, like play for 20 minutes, then go do something else and whatever. You know, so having a good balance between the gaming and, and other things. And when I got into college, poker was booming. So I got into that and I got into fantasy. And a lot of my friends were from poker or from fantasy leagues. So we were always just talking about it. And I wouldn't say I was like very mathy with it, but I was more feel based and like game theory kind of. Um, so I, it wasn't like Excel spreadsheets and crush, crunching numbers and stuff, but I would try to like think about the game theory and like what other people are doing and just give myself a better chance to win, you know, on those levels. So first off, dude, your dad sounds fucking cool as fuck. Um, don't know how much you know about me, but I got kicked out of high school, my first high school, because I was running a bookie, um, operation. So like I was addicted to gambling, to going to the fucking racetrack, you fucking name it. It was to the point where I remember 
when I turned 21, I was going to Vegas and playing nickel craps. Like you're just playing just to play at that point. You know, I just was anything fucking, you know, I was like Michael Jordan. I was really bad with like, oh, I'll bet you a dollar you can't get to the wall, whatever it may be. Um, did you spend a lot of time going to like Atlantic City growing up or like, you know, when you're in college maybe? Because, you know, I was like, it's like for me, Vegas was like, you know, like a, a common spot. Yeah, I would hit Atlantic City, Foxwoods. I went a lot. I've actually done a little. I didn't know Foxwoods was around back then. Yeah, back. I want to say it was uh, since I've been eighteen. Yeah, it's been around. So yeah, and also yeah, down to Vegas, I would travel a decent bit as well. I played World Series of Poker a few times. This is even like before I had much going on. You know, not much success or. Or like flexibility on money or anything. I was still taking some trips with my friends and, you know, mixing it up. But it's always been a really big part of my life. Were you a sports better back then too or no? Yeah, definitely. Like my dad would bring home the card, like the parlay cards from his office and stuff or the pick em pools. So I was doing that from, you know, really early age. And I continued casually, but I continued with that pretty much throughout my whole life. That's cool. Yeah, let me ask you this, man. This is just, just random. I just thought about it at the top of my head. What's the biggest sport bet you ever laid? Um, I remember betting like 5K on a Dodgers run line with Kershaw. Um, I don't think I've bombed anything crazy because I'm like in the industry and I don't want to do anything that's like, you know. 5K? Most Come of on, my um, risk now I feel like is in NFTs and some collectibles and things that I'm um, – really like making bets on on that front now right sports betting yeah like five five k ish is a good number for me yeah i mean five k it's it's it, enough for me to watch the game but yeah no i've done stupid shit don't, don't be you're obviously a smart guy don't be dumb like me uh going back right like before all this stuff and everything what were some of the jobs that you had growing up like either after school um do you have anything in the corporate world like basically what were you doing to pay your bills yeah, I started wanting to earn money probably when I was 12 or 13. And I think the first check I ever got was a camp counselor job. But then I lived next door to a 7-Eleven, like really next door. It was the, uh, my house was like a commercial zoned house that like we lived in. So I walked over and mowed their lawn one day. And then I went in and talked to the owner when I was 13. And I was like, I want to I want to mow your lawn. I just did it once because their lawn was getting all long and they weren't taking care of it. And so I did a good job and I went over and asked for a job and he started paying me like 20 bucks um, to, to mow his lawn every week. And next thing I knew I was doing like a, a cashier type job there. So I think I was like 16 when I started doing that. Uh, and I ran that out through the end of high school, but I also had other jobs on the side. I did like a, a host at a restaurant, um, probably two or three jobs at restaurants, cooking, hosting, whatever. And poker really is what moved me from jobs like that to like another way of making money. So when I went to college freshman year is when I started getting into poker and I preferred that way of making money. So I was trying to like learn the game and really be more autonomous. Right. I mean, I can't speak on the back east, but there's no 7-Elevens with lawns out here. You know what I mean? There's like a bunch of 7-Elevens in my house, just concrete. And I love 7-Eleven growing up too. Um, you said, you, you know, 5Gs is kind of like where you're, you're max at, like sport betting. But like, what's the biggest pot you've ever, you ever grabbed from a poker game? Like, like you know, a, a no limit game. There... 
I don't know the exact number, but it was in the range of like 35K. Right. And you're still playing poker now? Yeah, I still play now. I have a poker room at my house. I recently moved in January, set up like my dream poker room. So I'm, I'm running games out of my house, like uh, just for fun with my friends. And then, uh, yeah, from time to time, I make it out to the casino where I can play, but it's periodic. It's hard to get out, especially now during COVID. So hopefully things will get back to normal soon. You got any kids? I have two daughters, actually. I have a 12-year-old daughter and a nine-year-old. And so that's like one is going into middle school right now. That's been a pretty big change. And the other one's in third grade. Yeah, I got my life started real late. My wife is uh, 11 years younger than me. I got three kids. I got a nine, seven, and and four. So yeah, I feel you. Like it's it's hard for me to do anything really, you know. So how do, how do people play? Because I love poker. I just never have the time. People invite me to play in little tournaments at their house or whatever. And I've played. I've actually won you know, like five Gs before here and there. And it was fun because I like the game. I love text hold them. But where do you play online now ever since that, like the whole shit got banned? Like, where do people, or where would, I mean, can you play online? Is it legal? I don't even know. The whole origin of DraftKings was kind of right after online poker got banned in 2009, I think it was. And that's kind of when we started working on DraftKings, because I had all these friends that were, there wasn't a lot going on in the U.S., if you think about it, back in 2009, if you wanted to get a sweat on a sports game or, or like poker or anything, not a lot was really happening. And, you know, all of my friends from poker didn't really, they lost their hobby. They didn't have like a good outlet. And so that's really like how we developed DraftKings was with this idea in mind that there's tens of millions of people in the U.S. who they want skin in the game. They like predicting things. They like games that aren't easily solved. And there just wasn't a good solution for that. So we started working on DraftKings around this one day fantasy sports initially, which was uh, like an outlet very similar to what I think a lot of people were attracted to by poker. So I really moved my attention from poker totally into fantasy sports um, around 2010-ish. And since then, I've been really developing DraftKings. So poker hasn't been as big of a part of my life. It's just been for fun, really, in the last decade or so. Right. So so you launched DraftKings in 2012 um, from your co-founder, Paul Lieberman's apartment. How long did you guys know each other before you even launched the company? For a bit. I knew Jason, one of my partners, who's our CEO today. I met him at Capital One in 2006. And then Paul, I met three years later at a different company that we work, we all worked together. So uh, we knew each other for a few years and had collaborated at, you know, the companies that we were working at. So we had a good idea of what we were good at and, and how everybody worked. But the biggest thing was that we all had the entrepreneurial bug and we didn't want to like live in corporate America on the hamster wheel. So that was like the biggest thing that we had in common and some of our hobbies as well. Like we were playing fantasy and doing things like that. No, for sure. So it was you three guys pretty much that were involved in the jump. Yeah, exactly. So we we jumped it. Um, it took about a year from when we started talking about it when we quit our job. We started in early 2011, nights, weekends, developing DraftKings, and we are still working together at a company called Vistaprint. And then we quit in 2012 after we got a little bit of seed funding in the door. Was this the first business you guys have ever uh, attempted to put together? Like, this, Was this the first business venture for you guys? Yeah, it was. We were talking about a bunch of ideas. You know, we had wanted to like do something. We knew we wanted to do something. 
but the right idea just hadn't really come along. And we had some ideas that weren't so good that we, you know, explored and then didn't, didn't move forward with. Like the one I always tell people is uh, Paul had an idea for a daily deals aggregator website. So it would take like a Groupon and Living Social and all of those daily deal sites and put them all on one place. And yeah, we didn't do that one, but we had ideas like that, you know, like a bunch of one-off businesses. And the idea for DraftKings is the first one that we just dropped everything and went all in on on planning. At that time, like none of us had much money or things going on. I had like $9,000 in the bank that I put into it. Paul and Jason put something similar in. So we started with about 25K in the bank. And until we got funding, that was all the money we had to invest. Uh, and then by early, 20, early 2012, we raised another million dollars from a seed fund. Uh, and that's how we really got the ball rolling. It's funny. You just read my mind right when I was looking at it. I was like, yo, so how much you guys need? How much you guys started with? What you got? And you said it right there, like 25K, huh? Yeah, that's kind of the thing is I was 30 and I had 9K in the bank and I'd worked for 10 years and you kind of like are on the hamster wheel. And at that point, I had a daughter. I had a house. I was paying a mortgage, you know. I had just finished paying off my student loans from college. Fuck. And so I was looking at it and I'm like, I don't feel like I have anything to lose because I'm 30 and I have $9,000. So like, it's not that. It feels like a lot because it's all of your money, but it's like, if I spent 10 years getting there, do I really have that much to lose? So, you know, it was for me like a good bet to go all in on a company. Of course, we got pretty lucky with like how well it's gone, but you know, it felt like a good moment to take a shot. No, it's funny. I, this, this was an original question, but you said that at 30 because I thought about perspective. I, I was broke three times before I was 30. I worked in a corporate business. I was head of a record label. I never heard that term hamster wheel necessarily. You know, just you hear the rat race, but like, that's exactly what the fuck it was. And I had to leave because I was like, yo, I'm not going to get rich here. I'll keep living beyond my means. I have a great expense account, you know what I mean, where I can take to dinners and all that shit, but no, fuck all that. Like, I want I want more in life, you know? Um, I became a millionaire at 31 in 2004. Like, what year did you be, or how old were you when you became your first, like, on paper, where you become a millionaire? <laughs> if you don't mind saying. Um, roughly, I would say... I had 9,000 when I was 30. <laughs> when I was 34, I think I had a million a million dollars. At one point in like 2015, I probably had 40 million. Then I had zero. And then now it's, you know, we're public and things are... Right. How'd you go to zero? Well, in 2015, our industry was regulated. There was a lot of uh, kind of like change that was going on with gaming in the US. And... During that time, just the company's like value was seen as much less because fantasy sports was being regulated. There was a lot of change going on, and just like uh, it wasn't certain like how bright of a future our company would have at that time. So things kind of like dried up basically, and then we had a couple years of much slower growth in 2015, 2016. Uh, as you know, we spent a lot of our time on things like regulation, compliance, you know, all of this stuff. And it really wasn't until after sports betting became legalized and regulated, which is uh, three years ago about, you know, that was kind of the next phase of hyper growth for a company that really made things run quite a bit. It's funny because crypto was all fucked up in 2015 too. I remember, you know, like I was early and almost as early as you can be. 
What was that like then? Like to see your shit drop to, you know, being a father, having kids, and then seeing like, you know, the company value drop. Like, did you freak out? Like what made you want to, like what like kept you going? Well, I never like had, it was a, DraftKings is private at this point, right? So I never was sitting here holding money, right? It was all on paper. It was just kind of an idea of what, what we were building was worth. So my lifestyle and everything didn't really change. It was kind of really living off of a short budget, not doing anything too crazy. So I didn't even have a change of lifestyle or anything that I noticed. And it is a little gross. I know anyone who went through something like you know, crypto going way down in 2018, or if you've ever owned a stock that goes way down, like it sucks. You don't like looking at it on paper, you know, but it was all on paper. So... <laughs> You know, <laughs> the way I looked at it was like, I still felt really great about our company. I felt great about what we were building. We had an amazing team, like really, really top tier, um, like technology product. Jason, our CEO is like, I think one of the best tech CEOs in the country. You know, so we had amazing leadership, amazing people. I loved my job. I loved what I was working on. And so it didn't feel like that much, you know, it felt more like a challenge, just something to get through. So, you know, this is an entrepreneurial show. Um, we're ranked in the top 10 entrepreneur shows on, on pod, Apple podcast, all that stuff. And my audience, they love to know like the Genesis, you know, that's, that's what like one of the biggest favorite things, especially with, with anyone who's a mogul, any kind of, you know, someone at your level, president of a major company, co-founder of a big company. So the day the idea for DraftKings was created, who said what and what was the original version of the idea? I mean, I'm sorry, vision of the idea. So first discussion I ever had on DraftKings was with Jason, who is Jason Robbins, our CEO. This was after work one day. Um, I just grabbed him and pulled him into an office. And I was like, I have this rough idea that I think is pretty cool. It's basically like, you know how you're playing internet poker, you open up a table, you know, you're playing for a while, then you close it, whatever. I'm like, what if that is fantasy sports? Like you just open a, a league, you draft a team, you play for that day, and then there's a winner and it pays out. You know, and you can do it a bunch of times a day if you want. You can do it once, you can take days off, you can play every day, you know. So like a really flexible one day fantasy thing that's kind of like, the same experience as what people sought out with poker. And this was pretty soon after, you know, the poker was all shut down in the US. And instantly he just totally gets it. He was playing, you know, all the same things as I was, totally got it right away. He's like, we should meet this weekend, start sketching it out. And then Paul, who's now our third, you know, our third partner, Jason grabs, and he's like, we're thinking of working on this idea. Are you in? Paul's in right away too. He was like looking for something, you know, we were talking about ideas like this all the time. So within a day, we had the three of us all kind of jazzed up on this really high level idea of what if you could just make drafts every day, watch a day of sports, and then there's payouts based on how you do, and then on to the next day and do that across every sport. You know, so we started like uh, prototyping out this project spent a week or so on it. And then we're looking out on the website, like the, the internet, and we found a few websites that were doing something kind of similar. And one was uh, FanDuel. One was called Draft Street. 
there was a few others. One was called Star Street, which was based out of Boston, like where we were, you know, and the kid who started it named Jeremy Levine, he was like a mile down the street from us. But we had never heard of any of these projects at the time. And I was kind of bummed out because I thought it was this novel, like brand new idea. And there was probably 10 or 20,000 people who had tried it at that point. Holy shit. Calling, I called Jason and I was bummed out that somebody else, you know, or multiple <laughs> other sites were up. And so I'm like depressed by this, whatever. Jason, he's like, is it Google? Is Amazon doing it? Is, you know, ESPN doing it? Are any of them that far along? Yeah. And we realized that nobody had really done that much with the idea. They were all like brand new startups. And so we decided like, hey, we feel good about our ability to execute. We think we could like really build and execute this plan well. So we kept working on it, even though we found a couple other like competitors who got a jump start. Um, Findle is about three years ahead of us. So we were behind by a bit of time, but we felt good about our ability to, to execute and catch up. And so we kept at it. Right. You know, I think I have like a couple small little websites where I sell merch. I have like, you know, info about me and shit like that, you know, like basic stuff. And that's like, I used to be able to kind of code the real basic shit, add a JPEG, boom, for sale here and there. It's just difficult. I can't imagine like doing the app and doing the, the, the website, having the drafts and all that stuff and everything. You had to hire developers, right, for all that, basically to create that website and the app? So we had a little bit of money. This was still us working off that $25,000. Oh, you can't go that far. You know, so we had Paul learned how to code just to build the prototype. Um, he was actually an electrical engineer, so didn't have a lot of coding experience. Um, Jason was learning how to go like pitch our business, fundraise. I was working on a lot of the product specs and working with Paul on like what we were building and prototyping. But yeah, we used to go in seed round pitches around Boston and we would like pull up the website and it would just crash or go to like the, the <laughs> doom screen. And Paul would be trying to fix it during investor pitches and stuff. Oh, shit. We were like very short on money. We were showing a lot of you know screenshots of what it would be, but we couldn't really invest in the development to the full degree, right? So it took about three months after raising money to clean up the product, clean up the code, hire a few engineers and get it to a launch. And up until then, we were really, uh, it was like a vaporware kind of thing. Like in the last three years, I've probably crumbled across the site maybe 15, 20 times. I see obviously the banners and stuff, right? But for everyone who doesn't know, including me really, how much evolution from 2012 to now has happened? Like, has, has it been like night and day or is it kind of like, how much of a difference is it like today's website and how it runs compared to nine years ago? It's really different. I mean, like, <laughs> okay. like very, very different. The, we've added a lot of products. You know, we added a sports book. We added an iGaming product, you know, with casino games. We've added a marketplace that trades NFTs. So there's a good amount of evolution on just what's offered across the platform. And then the fantasy game that we started with over the years has really developed, you know, more sports, more breadth of what we're doing. So I'd say a lot. And, you know, when we were starting out, there was, I'd say the policy was a little bit behind where the consumer was in terms of interests. You know, there wasn't a lot going on with, you know, sports betting or, or whatever uh, in 2012, but the policies have been evolving. 
states are passing bills that are like legalizing and regulating sports betting now or iGaming. Uh, and we think of ourselves as sort of serving this customer, you know, a type of customer that is, they don't want to just sit back passively, watch sports. They want to engage, predict things. They want to play. And so we build products based on that customer. And when policy opens up, we want to add more to, to our off, you know? And so I'd say it's the biggest evolution has been just like pushing the envelope on like what's next in, in culture for that type of audience and trying to deliver new product. I mean, you know, when weed became legalized in like, not what's well, 19 states now or so, but like even when it became legalized in California, because why would I care about anywhere else? I care about where I'm from, you know? It's almost like even for the first year or two, you almost can't believe it. Do you know what I mean? Being a weed smoker since, you know, I've been smoking weed for almost shit, 35 years. You're like, even today, I'm like, fuck. Listen, it's not bad. Like, why am I still tripping? You know, like gambling's always been like kind of like a, a taboo thing, right? It's been weird. And um, that, that's a trip because I'm a big Seahawks fan and it's legalized in the state of Washington. And one of my producers had to tell me, he's like, yo, bro, you could sports bet legally in Washington state. I was like, yeah, yeah, bro, whatever. He's like, no, I'm serious. And I was like, oh shit, he's right. It's crazy. Well, I mean, you know, you guys were originally for daily fantasy sports. And that's what I remember the first time hearing you guys. Um, but now you guys are the official fantasy partner for NFL, MLB, NASCAR, PGA, fucking UFC. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Did you guys ever think you would take DraftKings this far? Like, did you even have, could you fathom that it was going to be at this level? No, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the only person who really saw that angle was probably Jason. Like our CEO is, but he's like a really, he's a sick one. He is like Elon Musk and like, me, I was thinking it would be a good business, really good business, you know, always really believed in what we were building, but the, the scale and magnitude, I don't think I fully, you know, expected to have 15 million, whatever, you know, people come sign up, you know, millions and millions of people playing and to like go public, have the level of success. I never really saw that coming. It's been an incredible ride, really. I mean, have you seen personally like your company, DraftKings, change the lives of players or even like your employees? Have you seen it change people's lives? Like I'm sure it must have like, I know people who play all the time. Yeah, like our, between Jason, Paul and I, we always had this mentality like if we can give somebody equity in the company that can help us, like we always were willing to do that. We weren't too protective with our ownership. And over the years, you know, we raised a bunch of funding rounds that, you know, made entire investment firms, you know, paid back their entire rounds. We had over 100 employees make a million dollars plus on the IPO, you know. So it's like, really, we gave every single employee stock. Even to this day, every employee gets stock in DraftKings. And it's something that was something we wanted part of the culture. Like, you want everybody to act like an owner, is what we say internally. So if you want people to act like an owner, it's helpful if they own some of the company. <laughs> so we give everybody stock. And you know, that's the kind of thing that, um, you know, back in 2017, 2018, pre-sportsbook and pre-going public, it's just a number on paper. But now we've gone public. You can see like the real thing. It's liquid. People can, you know improve their lifestyle. They can pay off a loan, buy a house, whatever. So everybody around me, I feel like at the company has been able to you know, achieve some of their goals based on how the company's doing, which has been great to see. 
That, that's got to be the most impressive thing that I've heard so far. Like besides your dad being a CEO in jail, which just really stuck with me. Like, <laughs> that's amazing. You know, you, for people to have, you know, to make a million dollars. My brother-in-law works for an enormous tech video game company called Riot Games. And he didn't even have 10,000 in his bank account. He was working in real estate, he was working whatever, you know, handyman jobs. And then, you know, they sold the 10 cent. And I was like, wait, hold on, bro. You're buying a crib, an M3, a Rolex, like all in the same month, and you're going on vacation? Like, what the fuck's going on? How much yeah, it's it? like you built League of Legends, and now you yeah. have this crazy, like, like, I mean, it really does work like that. No, it, ch it changes life. So it's, but to hear you say that is so awesome. And you guys are really good about, like, I know one thing from what I hear from my friends or anything else, you guys have the best, you know, user experience, and you guys do these crazy contests. Um, all the contests are, like, nuts, and you're really active in the media, you know, and then my boy who actually got me into podcasting, Michael Rappaport, he told me that he hosted um, the Daily Football World Championships with you guys in 2016 at the 4040 Club, my boy spot. And he said it was awesome. You know, and I'm like, really? It was legal? No, it was lit, you know? So like, what are some of the contests or events that you guys have hosted back then? And you look back and be like, wow, that was the illest like event party or something. Anything that sticks out? Yeah, we get really good access to a lot of sports. You know, you mentioned we have like the UFC deal. We have um, NFL. We go deep with a lot of the leagues, teams. So we're able to give these really once-in-a-lifetime experiences to a lot of our customers. Like people throwing out the first pitch at baseball games or sitting courtside or ringside in a UFC fight. So that stuff is, you know, just all around us. And we try to just uh, come up with good ways to reward a lot of our customers on that stuff. Uh, as far as events, we started doing sports betting championships, which have been a really like interesting emerging part of the business, which basically like people start with a certain bankroll and then they're making bets over the course of a few days with the goal of like whoever has the most at the end, like wins the the prize, you know? So sports betting championships have become really like more prevalent doing those in person. Um, we do like fantasy championships for every sport, every big sport. And so we put together big events for those. Uh, I think it'll become almost like because so much pent up demand with COVID, it'll become a huge part of things coming off the other end of it, I think, as everyone's looking for an outlet. No, for sure. I mean, you guys are the, um, it's, I'm reading this thing here. It says you guys are the first mobile and in-person platform in New Jersey. So that's just fucking wild. So you seem like a really laid back guy, which is just cool. You know, like, you don't, you know, you just seem real chill, you know, it's, and that's, it's awesome to see, especially from all the success that you had. And with all the success that you've had and that your company has seen, like what motivates you every single day to keep innovating and keep going? It's helpful that I actually like what I'm working on and you know, Jason, Paul, and I still, like, we're founders, but we still, like, operate the company in a huge way. I have a team of over a 1,000 people. So does Paul. You know, it's like the majority of the company is still, like, we are actively managing it. Uh, we have voting control of the company. We control the product roadmap, you know, the innovation roadmap that we're delivering, the fundraising that we're doing. So it's still very much a founder-led company, and we feel like we're maybe you know, 30% of the way towards realizing our vision. So lots of like work ahead. I feel good about the success so far, but there's a lot of work ahead that we still want to achieve. And, you know, there might be a day where we feel like, you know, everything that kind of we wanted to do with the company, 
that that's all done and we're ready to step aside. But I don't think that's for a long time from now. So uh, we have I don't know a roadmap of like seven times the amount of things than we can actually do this year. You know, and yeah, you know, that's really what keeps me going is just seeing the vision fully realized, growing, uh, expanding our audience. You know, increasing our relevance uh, in the lifestyle of our customer. You know that kind of stuff. You know, as a trip, like you, you hear about all this, like in the last month or two, you hear about people don't want to go back to work at all. And like Domino's, I read yesterday, Domino's Pizza could, you know, have to show, shut down some businesses because, not because they can't, you know, whatever, there's not a demand for it. There's just no drivers, no delivery drivers that want to deliver, you know what I mean? Which is crazy. So they have lack of people that want to work. But then, yeah, you know, people are like, oh, we need jobs, blah, blah. There's jobs. People just want to work, you know? So it just made me think about the the environment you created because like during the pandemic I don't have anywhere near the amount of employees you have across three companies I might have 117 employees and like my, I can't even think about it um, I don't know how the fuck you even I, I, Jesus I'm just thinking about that but you know when you're talking about stock options and things like that I just feel good that I didn't have to have anybody go on to unemployment or even get an EDD check you know like they were they were all taken care of you know it was good so that was just, I just wanted to salute you on that. That was, it's great to hear. That was our perspective as well was we didn't want to like no layoffs, none of that. We had a giant customer support team, hundreds of people. And in April, when COVID kind of shut down all the sports leagues, they went from very, very busy to nothing to do more or less, you know, and we initiated new projects. We tried to move people on to new things like uh, new initiatives that we wanted to start. We were coming up with the weirdest shit. It was like Madden simulated sports leagues that we were running fantasy off of. And we were just moving resources over to like, okay, you're not doing that anymore. Now you're doing the Madden leagues. Or um, table tennis in Europe was giant, believe it or not. It was like the only thing going on in sports. So we just tried to redivert people to, you know, something that the company needed. And eventually, you know, when sports came back, things got a little more back to normal, but that was really important to us. Like we wanted to make sure that everybody had a, you know, had a job that they had income coming in during such a weird time. Man, bro, it was amazing. So two months ago, your company launched DraftKings Marketplace. Um, can you talk about that? Tell me about like why you felt like getting into NFTs and collectibles, like why that was so important. The, the way I got sucked into NFTs back in March was sort of on the tail end of a big move in physical sports cards that then migrated over to digital. So February is when I sort of became aware of NBA Top Shots and some of the digital collectible uh, uh, programs that were emerging. But prior to that, I was a big sports card collector. Like behind me, I have stacks of cards that are just sitting here. And... Like what caught my eye about the digital side was a bunch of stuff. One was like for DraftKings, this is amazing. Like all of our business is online through our mobile apps. So like the physical, you know, collectibles don't make sense, but digital absolutely does. And then on a personal level, I'm much more, I like buying, selling, trading, and I want it to be easy and digital is much easier. You know, you could like list something for sale. If it gets bought, you get the money, they get the thing. It's like easy, right? much easier than like a PSA 10 Jordan or something that you're mailing. And, you know, right. so the, the transactions were easy and I liked some of the projects I was seeing. So back in March, I tried um, like buying Ethereum for the first time and I bought CryptoPunks and I bought maybe like five or six of them. And 
then I sold them all and I bought like one really good one. So I was buying and selling and, and trading and getting to know the platforms. And during that time, it was surging in popularity. And I'm like, we need to build this at draft. Like we need a marketplace at draft. Right. Everybody I knew that was like early adopters of DraftKings were into this. So that connection between like the same people playing fantasy and, and sports betting are the same people jumping into digital collectibles and NFTs. Like that overlap was so obvious that we sort of dropped everything and moved to build this marketplace. And over the next few months, I both became like a giant NFT collector and at the same time, like helped steer this this uh, product that we launched ultimately in August around DraftKings Marketplace. And so, yeah, that's been a big part of my life the last eight months. No, it's crazy. You know, I, mean, I mean, I just got back in a hobby like about 18 months ago and by accident because my agent had got me a job with Tops for this, this project called Project 2020. And it did so well that I'm the first ever entity, let alone non-professional sports athlete or anything, to have his own Topps Chrome. Like, I have my own Topps Chrome set. You know, my, this year we just launched, last week was my second year. It was uh, 2021 Topps Chrome, and it's done very well. Last year we did incredibly well, you know, so it's kind of a weird thing. And I understand what you're saying, but I also love tangible items. I like to touch things. I like to, you know, like, I can't imagine later someone's like, yo, dude, you're going to drive a Ferrari in your house. And even if it fucking experience is great, it's like, no, dog, there ain't nothing like being out there and being dangerous and being in the street going 190 miles per hour in a fucking Lamborghini. Like, bro, stop. Don't talk to me about it. I want to see that PSA 10 in my hand, Michael Jordan, Kobe, whatever. So, like, what do you think about the future NFTs? Like, what do you think about people? First of all, like, the punks who go under a page like yours or mine and be like, oh, I could take a screenshot of that crypto punk. Like, you're stupid. You wasted money, Ben. Well, you know, I could just screenshot that. I'm just like, oh, my fucking God. Bro. Yeah, you can't, just copy the JPEG. and seriously. You can't get paid off the JPEG, sir. Like, but I'm just like, where do you sit with the future NFTs? Where I sit is, I think we are us. Everything around us is our identity, which is, you know, I make my office a certain way because I want, you know, this is like the vibe I want in my office. I want certain art. I want, you know, uh, when I'm collecting things, I want certain athletes, certain collectibles that speak to me. I wear the clothes I want to wear. Like everything you do is part of your overall identity. And with NFTs, it's really like the first, I think, great application of like a digital, um, like a, a representation of your digital identity in a lot of ways. Like there's social media, but now it's so custom, like what you buy, what you add to your collection and your wallet says a lot about what you care about or what communities you want to be a part of. So like what stood out to me was each project, you know, it has its own artist, its own style, its own community. You go into the discord rooms and there's like a, a character around the people that are collecting that thing. And you get like, I want to be a part of this one. This one's not for me. You know, and you start building a collection that just says something about who you are. And I think that's why NFTs will always be, you know, special, why they'll always be a growing industry is because think about all the ways that everybody, you know, uh, like shows more about who they are, shows more what they care about. It's that's what it is. It's art, it's clothes, it's jewelry, it's, you know, tattoos, it's collectibles that you invest in. Music. Like, nobody knows what art I have in my house. Unless you've been in my house, you haven't seen my paintings, you don't know what I have. On the blockchain, if you know who I am, if I'm if I want to show my wallet, 
everybody in the world has access to see what you care about, what your collection is. There's like some scale there that I think can't be replicated in the physical world as easily. And so I think there's a place for both. Both are giant industries, but digital is just emerging now. So it's growing so much faster. Trust me, I'm a big art collector, dog. You know, I've been running with cause since shit, 1999, you know, and like- Yeah, I saw I, that I, chain for uh, for Kid Cudi. That was insane. Yeah. And you know, that that's, that's a museum, one of one piece. It's not like, you know, it's something that you think, and I'm being honest with you, you think there's a big jeweler like, I don't know, because I mean, I, and I'm, this is the ego talking, but you know, I'm one of the biggest jewelers in the world. You know, I've, I won the GIA Jeweler of the Year. It's, it's like winning the NBA championship back to back. I did that. And, you know, no one's even won it twice. No one's ever even been dumped. Most of these people, you said 99.9% .9 of Instagram account you see on Instagram, that's a jeweler. They haven't even been nominated. So it was a big honor for someone like, because you see the people who won in the past, it's like, you know, like they wear a suit, you know, like just different type of people. I'm the most unorthodox type person to win that. But, um, Working with, with Cause was amazing. Working with Murakami, you know, these things, are, it's incredible. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to do jewelry NFT type shit and everything. I just trying to ease into it. I did some stuff to mess around. What you said was interesting for people who are listening right now, who asked me about NFTs and I refuse to talk about it on the show. Um, and I was supposed to have Blau on and a couple other people. And I've had Gary on my show, but I didn't want to get too deep into it. But, but like, it's funny when you said the wallet and the visibility of seeing your, your collection, I didn't really think about anything until I look at my MetaMask account. I was like, I was like, yo, shit, look at that OpenSea and everything's listed there. And I'm like, yo, nobody knows what the fuck I have. How the fuck is there 217 views on this? I didn't look at it 217 times. Then I started realizing. I was like, motherfuckers are browsing around. Now it's like, you know, I just was kind of like, ah, oh, it's kind of weird. So I switched wallets. And I realized that doesn't matter because you can see where it's going. And I wasted gas. For those of you who don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, there's gas, there's, um, you know, gas fees. to So I'm fucking switching NFTs to different wallets and I'm paying gas fees thinking like, you know, I'm going to go into a hidden wallet. And I'm like, wait a second, what the fuck? And I'm just like, oh, man. So it just is what it is. It's funny. Uh, <laughs> Everything's tracked so well, you know? No, it is. It just, I was like, how the fuck do you know that? Cause some dude hit me up. He goes, "Hey man, you want to get rid of your V friends?" And I was like, "V friends, what? Your V friends, Fox?" And I was like, "I don't know, what you're talking about." I knew what he was talking about. I just was being a dick, you know, because I don't want, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And he goes, "Aren't you uh, K Town OG?" And I'm like, "How did you know what my username was?" And it was just weird. It was invasive, you know. Anyways, um, the the tech, the blockchain is crazy. Everything you do is tracked. Like that's the thing that's so stressful about it, or amazing is. If you make a shitty trade, like say you buy something and it goes down 80%, everybody knows you made this shitty trade. They can tell. Other way around, if you, you get all this clout from like making incredible trades that people, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to follow this guy because he knows what he's doing. He's like, you know, he's flipped this thing for a bunch of money. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's crazy. I saw like one of my friends, um, Ricky, like uh, FaZe Banks, he's like flipped some things for tons of money. Yeah. And he, like you're saying too, got the jewelry of all his crypto punks around his, his wrist. And now people are following him because they saw like his, it's all on the blockchain. They see his trades and then they're kind of like following what he's doing next. So you see that because it's all public. Yeah. You know, by the way, I'm, I'm in FaZe Clan. So Banks is my dude. You know, it's just a, crazy fucking thing especially with the pucks he would hit me up like, yo you want to get in this i'm like you know bro i have to honestly be honest with you bro 
I've won and done so well in so many fields. I don't need to win at everything, dog. I'm not that dude. I just, I just, I can't. I can't keep up anymore. I'm just, I'm so fucking, I'm so over. I just, I just want to take my kids camping and and just chill. So, you know, that's why I do podcasting. You know, it's it's an amazing thing. I didn't think, it, I just did it for fun. You know, yes, I speak into a microphone and it's edited. It's more professional, but I like to think of maybe just having a conversation with people, even though I don't know who's listening on the other end because my fucking show's number one in Botswana. I don't know one person in Botswana. You know, it's high in Australia. It's in areas like, what the fuck? But it's reaching to people. So I know people are listening. It's I'm just having a conversation, you know, and I'm having a conversation with you. And I hope people, you know, not, you know, uh, gravitate towards you because you've done so many amazing things. You should be, you know, known and rewarded for it um, in a more in-depth way with this interview. Uh, and, and speaking of podcasts, you know, I heard that you host a podcast with Gary Vee because we were just talking about Gary right recently, you know, and it's called Props and Drops. How do you like being a podcaster? I like it. I never thought I would be really doing any content. And I did this thing with Gary because over our text, we were talking about sports cards, NFTs, everything. And I think he wanted to get a little more into sports. I wanted to get more into collectibles. So we we were kind of crossing a bit. Uh, we do half our shows about sports betting. Half of it is about uh, collectibles and NFTs, and we just go wherever the momentum is, wherever like uh, culture is going. We kind of gravitate towards, and that's what we're talking about. So a lot of current events on both fronts. It's been good. We're like nine episodes in or something, so starting to figure out how to do it. I know you're what two hundred something at this point. So you know, Mike Rapport really put me up on everything, and the consistency was a big deal. Having you know the weekly drop, the, the biweekly, you know, just the emergency podcast, and just making sure you have the structure. Even having a theme, so I never thought about this type of shit. Man, I'm a fucking jeweler, you know. Before that was in music. Like this is crazy that I have a platform, and it's my most powerful platform is the podcast. So uh, salute if you ever want a guest on there. Let Gary know I'm down to come on and talk some shit and whatever. Oh, we're definitely doing that. So the last question I have, I ask every single guest who comes on the show, no matter what, it is always the last final question. Is there anything that you would like to ask me? Yeah, I want to ask if I can hook up with you and get like my favorite NFT pendant. <laughs> no, but how many times do you get this question? Because I'm guessing everybody hits you up and they all want you know some custom work from you. So I want to know like how many people are hitting you up trying to get custom work for something like that? No bullshit. Like on a on a eight top tier one level. Um, every day on a lower level, you know, maybe 50 to hundred times a day. I'm, I'm currently booked until, uh, July of 2023 because I was making like three, four chains a, a month. Now I'm doing five chains a year and I'm about to finish them. But I do sponsorship chains. Like I did Snickers chain for the NFL. You know, I got the Captain Morgan now with the MLS. I have these brand partnerships. I did stuff with General Mills with like Lucky Charms and tricks and stuff like that. And I like those because look, people are like, well, isn't your minimum like 200 grand? And I'm like, okay, what's your point? Like, well, you can make a 200 grand chain every single month. And I'm like, that's cool. But then I could do a million dollar partnership with a major corporation like General Mills or these companies. Now they're spending money marketing. And now I see my name in Target or on television on ESPN of these places. Whereas this one celebrity could do so much. Yes, he has a lot of followers, he has money, but not necessarily will he go out and push it. These guys are actually going to market my brand and you know the Ben Baller brand and IF and Co. So... You know, it's tough so because... How do you, like, if it's somebody you care about, but you can't take their work on, how do you deal with that, like, not letting them down? What do you say? Dude, it's tough. My cousin was like, hey, 
my son wants this, so it's my nephew. He's like, uh, he just did really well in soccer. He wants a number, just yesterday, he goes, wants a number 12 chain. I'm going to personally cut a small little 12 one and just do it myself. It's just really simple. I'll do that. But like, even Cuddy, it's one of my, I just talked to him five minutes before I got, I was like, yo, bro, I got to record this show. I got to go. And he's like, let's do something else. I'm like, oh my God, like, it, there's money and it's great. And he, we come with the craziest ideas, but shit, man, like, you know, like, it's, 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 um, Every time I, I sign up for a job for a chain, that's like more time I'm taking away from my kids. Do you know? And that sounds, sounds fucked up, you know? So um, it's tough because when it's a friend, they get butt hurt. And then now, nothing friendship wise, I'm like, yo, yo, don't forget we got that dinner with this. I'm not going to fucking dinner with fucking Ben Baller. He thinks he's too good for me. Like, what are you talking about? Shit got nothing to do with anything. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's like, how are you like, imagine if you're, not, I'm not saying I'm LeBron, but imagine you being LeBron. And you have a lot of friends and a lot of family and it's game seven and it's in your hometown. Like everyone wants to go to the game, right? Like, what do you do? I just hope that people understand like, hey, I, you know, and I want to retire from jewelry soon and just keep, you know, just just podcast and do my brand partnership deals. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'd love to make you an NFT chain because I have not done one yet. And I think it would, you know, it would do a lot of good for the community that, that you know, that we're both, you know, fond of. So, uh, I, look, I do what I want to do, but... To be completely honest with you, I haven't been very inspired lately. You know, when 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 they came up with this cost piece, I'm like, bro, do you know how much money that's gonna cost? You know how big that's gonna fucking be? And then it just it broke the fucking internet. Like it just it was at the Met Gala. You know, it was over a million dollars. It was like security people had to go with him. He has to take Advil to wear the chain because it's so heavy. It stops the circulation in his head and gives him a headache. You know. There's things that go on it. You know, causes putting in a museum. It's going to you know a hundred. He's like hundred years now from Ben people are going to see it in museums and it's just like a, it's a different level when it's museum quality. So right there, you're already at above anybody else on my list. So if you were even remotely somewhat serious of doing something cool, that would be fucking awesome. I'm now, serious. yeah. So now it'd be awesome because we started incorporating the, the QR codes, you know, on the piece with our boom. Cause it could just, you know, all, all the phone had, the camera has to catch is that, that code. Now let's say we do the QR code in the back of the piece, right? Boom. Now it goes to your fucking, you know, to your open sea or whatever. It's crazy. And I just, I don't care if anybody does it first, blah, blah, whatever. That's not me. I used to be the guy. Who does it the best? Who wins a championship? And I think me and you, we could win a championship, bro. So <laughs> I'm game. Excited, man. Thanks a lot. I mean, that's the best part about success is you control your time. You know, you take on the projects you want. So congratulations. No, congratulations to you. I, I really do. I didn't know very much about you. I knew, you know, DraftKings, it's, it's like hearing Pepsi to me. It's that, you know, um, much of a, of a household name. But just hearing the way that you, the culture or, or the, you know, the climate inside your company sounds like non-toxic. It sounds amazing. I'm always around toxic shit. So uh, just again, man, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on the show. I really salute you. And uh, yeah, man, that's it, bro. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the time. All right. Thanks, guys. Yo, Miles, man, throw on a little bit of Lakey Lake, and we're going to be right back with the commercial break first. This podcast is brought to you by Vitamin Water. Vitamin water drinks are a simple way to get nutrition from vitamins, electrolytes, and other additional ingredients, all with a great taste. Vitamin water has an entire rainbow of flavors. 
any type of refreshing beverage you're looking for, vitamin water has it. I rock with the watermelon peach flavored with five grams of fiber that aids in digestion to help support gut health, which I need. Vitamin water look, vitamin water zero shine, strawberry lemonade flavor with biotin, vitamin A and 200% more vitamin C to help support hair and skin health. Vitamin water power C, dragon fruit flavored, is filled with vitamin C and zinc to support normal immune function. Vitamin water is the official beverage of Behind the Baller podcast. Grab yourself a bottle or case today. Yo, guys, we're back, man. Uh, make a correction real quick. Uh, anyways, Matt Kalish is the president and co-founder, not the CEO. Um, but I do appreciate him coming on the show, man. It's a big deal. So, yeah, man, this week uh, I got a call from my agent. told me that BBGo, the official sponsor of the Los Angeles Lakers, my Los Angeles Lake show, right? Official sponsor, just to see a Korean company. That patch on the jerseys is it hits different. Shit's totally different. But they hosted a, a, a Friday night game for me versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, meaning they gifted me two courtside tickets. Now they weren't the greatest courtside tickets. They were still legit courtside tickets. It's a fucking serious game. You know what I'm saying? These motherfuckers are going for over 20 bands a ticket right now. Ever since the pandemic, as you guys know, cars, everything is up. Food gas like everything's just crazy um and laker games are just in high demand so tickets are no fucking joke right now but i want to give a shout out to bb go for those of you who don't know they're like the korean chipotle for a popular dish korean dish called uh bibimbap and basically you know you get like a, a bowl of rice and then you want to put some vegetables on it. You can put like eight, ten different vegetables on there. You could choose how you want it. You could choose spicy pork. You could choose chicken. You could choose beef. Um, if you don't eat that, you could have tofu, have an egg on there, have some gochujang, have some other sauces and mixtures. And it's, you know, it's, it's good. It's really, really good. But yeah, I, I was really hyped um, that they invited me. I took my boy Jeff, who owns Riff Los Angeles, Riff LA. He's never been to a courtside game. He's never been to a game courtside ever. And it was amazing seeing a grown man that giddy. It was it was pretty fucking awesome. But you know, at the game, it was a it was a trip. You know, it was my first time at Staples since February 2020. It was a trip having paparazzi take pictures of me outside of the arena, and um, yeah, it was weird. It was a tripped out experience, and um, it it was just I don't know, man. It, it was just kind of like a. It felt good, even though I was wearing a mask the entire time. Going in the founders' room, um, um, j just like networking was different. Uh, ran to my boy Alex from uh, from Cookies. He's one of the owners of, of like two of the biggest cookies dispensaries. We just one of them is uh, Melrose. We just did a, a appearance there, you know, a couple months ago. And um, I ran into Rich Paul, chopped with Rich Paul for a little while. Clutch Sports. You know, it's funny is I've never met Rich before, like personally, like like on a one on one basis. And I was like, yo, yo, what's good, bro? And I was like, yo, my name is Ben. He's like, come on, man. He's like, are you, f come on, bro. I know who the fuck you are. And I was like, oh, bro, I didn't know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to be rude. I was like, what's up? Um, the funny thing was, if you guys watched that show, Animal Kingdom, I was sitting next to Pope from the show. Uh, I forgot what dude's name is. Pope's name, Sean Hatosi. It's a fucking crazy ass name, right? Especially for him. He brought his son with him. His son's eight years old, was sitting next to us. 
we had a good old time, man. It was a good ass game. I got to chop it up with Flea. Flea is married to a friend of mine, Melody um, Ishodi. Ishani, I'm sorry, Ishani. Anyways, I've known Melody for a long ass time too. Seen her come up like crazy. But, uh, the, you know, there, there wasn't like a bunch of crazy ass celebrities. It was kind of an odd game. But, yo, we got the W, beat the Cavaliers. And then, um, you know, we had an off night. And then uh, last night, the Lakers played um, Houston and we got the W. Don't understand what the fuck Vogel is thinking with some of these calls and everything. But it's like, crazy because, you know, we're beating Houston by 28 fucking points. And then they come back like, why do we always get, we, we love to take our foot off the gas. Anyways, man, um, I'll be at the Laker games. Uh, actually, fuck, totally forgot. It is November, guys. I, I don't know how the fuck I forgot to say that. But it is November, and I'll be going to a game in a couple weeks. I'm going to be taking my boy, George Lopez, to the game. Be sitting courtside. It's going to be fucking lit. And, you know, I'm looking forward to our um, um, our Laker squad this year. You know, seeing Melo play was a damn treat. You know, um, Malik Monk. I don't know, but we, we, got, we got an interesting team this year. You know, we got the OGs and we got some randoms that just, just kind of weird. Um, anyways, Seahawks, guys. Seahawks got the W yesterday. Okay. Now, it's not rocket science. You give the ball to Tyler and to DK, and guess what? We're probably going to win games. You know, Alex Collins did his thing. He, he, he ran pretty good. I'm not going to lie to you. But you know what? We focused more on the, on the pass yesterday, and they let Geno Cook go against a really terrible Jaguars team, horrible Jaguars team. But you know what? Everything worked for us. Everything did not work for them. They're dropping passes. The fucking 12 men on the field two times. There's crazy penalties left and right. There was just stupid shit. Fucking delayed games. How do you have three delayed games, Urban Meyer? What are you doing? And like a blank look on your face, Urban Meyer? Like, bro, you're, you're not like some, some fucking amateur. It just don't make any sense, you know? But we go to three and five. We're still above the Niners. They're in last place in the NFC West. You know, we got a bye week coming up. Russ has probably come back. And then we got to go fucking fight in, in Green Bay against arguably one of the best, you know, top three best teams in the NFL right now. And Aaron Rodgers in the worst place to play in their home. Salonas is going to turn out. I do feel, you know, I think... Let's see what happens. I mean, we go right from that to fucking the goddamn fucking uh, Arizona Cardinals. It's like, goddamn. We could finish the season off 9-8. and eight. And if some, by any kind of miracle, you know, um, any kind of miraculous, you know, uh, situation happens with our team and we win one of the games versus the Cardinals and we beat the Packers, you know, who knows, and any, any, any given Sunday, sorry, you know, we could end up in a wild card. But I know a lot of shit's got to change. My boy Quandre did his thing. Jamal was playing good. You know, everyone looked real good. I'm not going to lie to you. Our D looks straight. You know, the only thing I was pissed off at is, you know, we destroyed them. We crushed them. We absolutely routed them. The only problem is, how the fuck do we let Trevor Lawrence score on that fucker? Just, man. You know, even a field goal would have made me upset. I just wish we did it. And they went for it, you know, and, and we could have fucking shut them out. Crazy stat. The Jacksonville Jaguars have never scored a first half point ever. Not even a field goal. Nothing. At Lumen. CenturyLink Field. Same thing. But yeah, I just, uh, you know, we look good. DK looked good. It's just, it's not rocket science. We need to get more passes to him. DK's rating the other day was already second in the NFL 
and he's not getting any touches. He's barely getting anything. I'm talking about, oh, Debo, Debo Samuels, uh, some fucking sports analyst said Debo Samuels is leading his class and draft class and blah, blah, blah. Shut the fuck No, he isn't. <laughs> Bro, we got a backup quarterback. We got, he's not getting no touches, and yet DK still leads that fucking, that class in touchdowns. I'd rather take touchdowns over yardage. So stop the cap, man. That shit is just fucking silly, man. I don't know, man. We got we got a lot going on still. I don't know when I'm going to go back up there. But it was good hanging with all my boys. Um, I know I dropped the episode on Thursday and we talked about it, but it felt good, man. And, uh, you know, to continue, well, not to continue, my schedule is crazy for the rest of the year. And um, I'm headed to New York this week. Got Kaz, um, his gallery is opening this weekend. He has a private event Thursday night. I got Cuddy's premiere Wednesday night of his movie. I think I got a, a, a scene in it. So I got to do Cuddy's premiere. First thing in the morning, fly to New York, go to that event, work on this babe collab that I go, go on, real official babe collab. Do some shit out there with uh, with Jacob, my boy Greg Yuna. And uh, this costing is big because we are debuting the Artist Proof one of one piece that we did for Cuddy, but this is now the one for Kaz. It's his Artist Proof, and he is debuting it at his things, private dinner, private everything. I'm excited. Very excited to be back in the city. Very excited to be treated um, better by the hotel I was in, even though, you know, it is a six-star hotel, to, kind of. And uh, yeah, man. Anyways, you know, not a whole lot to talk about on the entertainment side, I um I don't know man. I you know the BMF show is is kind of like it's good and there, there's points where I'm like damn this shit's getting you know but it's still kind of eh. it's like dragging me along cuz I'm just waiting I'm like what the fuck's going to happen you're like it's just the show could have been shorter. Whereas in Raising Canaan these motherfuckers they made the hour feel like it was 20 minutes because there's like 2 hours full of action packed action going so fast that you're just like whoa. But BMF kind of drags. I know it's under, you know, it's a real story. I just don't believe Meech's son is the right, like, but then again, you know, this is a really early time in Meech's career where they're really breaking it down. So I don't know how many seasons they're talking about doing this shit. I don't know when they jump into fucking, you know, where Meech starts going to Atlanta and starts throwing fucking cash at Diddy's parties and there's all this shit that's going on. I don't know when all that happens. You know, I don't know how far back this shit goes, but it's entertaining enough. And, uh, man, I'm just being honest. I just wish that someone had a fucking download for, yo. If anyone in the BTB army has the episodes BMF, the rest of them, man, send them this motherfucking way. You know what I mean? You know the email. You know the deep. Hit me up. You're you going to get a hold of me. Trust me. Um, the next thing I watched was the Insurrection documentary about the Capitol on HBO Max. It's called Four Hours at the Capitol. Yo, some people may like, you know, watch the documentary. Some people may not. That shit was crazy. Okay. I watched all that shit go down. You watch little people like the fucking stupid ass shaman fucking, uh, uh, Viking, whatever dude, and the fucking all these other stupid ass people that were there. But when you really re watch the documentary, that shit's crazy. They had the Proud Boys really talk about it. They had the Senate police, they had the state police, they had real people there that were just, they captured that lady who was fucking supposedly, was she in the Navy or the Air Force or some shit? That dumbass bitch who was trying to break into the Capitol and got shot and died. Like, there was crazy ass shit. Like, to see the whole shit go down, like, and Trump knew all about this, bugged, fucking bugged the fuck out. So, you know, that's what that is. But anyways, man, guys, it has been a, a pretty long episode, actually. You know what I'm saying? Almost an hour and a half. 
And um, I want to give away some shit. So you know my Ben Bar did the chrome boxes. You know, they're going crazy right now in the hobby. Motherfuckers doing box breaks. They're breaking out the dope-ass hits, all that shit. So I'm giving away my first box officially to a BTB member, all right? I am not going to advertise this on the podcast. I mean, outside on social media, I want this to be really like for a real person who's listened throughout the entire show. We're not going to advertise we're giving away the box. We're not going to say in the episode notes. We're not going to talk about it anywhere. You just have to be a real BTB Army member to answer this question, okay? Now, the first person who can email behindtheballerpod at gmail.com and tell me the name of my friend from high school who I want to follow. I want to follow his footsteps. I don't want to go to college. I want to follow him. And because he became a successful record music business mogul. Tell me his name, guys. First person to get that correct is going to get a BBDTC box. I will even sign a card in there and sign the box too. All right, guys. So you know the email address behind the baller pod at gmail.com. Guys, that is all the time we have. Appreciate you guys like you have no fucking idea. Still got this Eli um, interview. Uh, Ruby's going to jump on. Had some shit that happened, you know. And um, yeah, you know what? I might do a full review of my Tesla Plaid next week. We're going to figure this all out uh, because the car is, is fucking crazy. It's just literally insane. I want to talk about that. But that's it, guys. Look, if you don't hear from me this Thursday, not sure if I'm going to try to squeeze the episode in. You will hear from, hear from me on Monday. I love you guys. Appreciate everyone. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Please don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend about Behind the Baller Podcast. All right, y'all. This is my man, Lakey Lake. He's going to take us out of here. Peace. <laughs>